Thank you, Murray. Well, yesterday was uh, Black Friday, uh, one of the biggest shopping days of the year. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all were brave enough to brave the crowds. I didn't go out because of COVID and the fact that I don't like crowds, so it's not a good day for me to go out. I don't like shopping in the midst of crowds. I don't like the rush, the hustle, the bustle, but I did have a pretty good strategy this year. What I did is I went on to Amazon, and I did a bunch of research. And so uh, a couple days before, I had picked out, I'd heard from my kids what they wanted, my, my wife, and so I did a lot of research. In fact, on Thanksgiving morning, I was putting things into my cart, my virtual cart on Amazon, and the plan was that on Black Friday morning, I would simply wake up, have a cup of coffee, and then move to my cart, and then click ready to check out. And I would check out, and with two clicks of a button, I would purchase everything. Well, the downside was that when I finally woke up, had coffee, breakfast with my wife, Sarah. I logged on to Amazon.com, and when I went to my cart, several of my items were gone. They had sold out. It was like someone had come into my virtual cart and taken the things that were in my cart. Now, if that happens in real life, someone's take something from your cart, usually a fight or an argument will ensue, right? I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And I could tell the clock was ticking on Black Friday, and I could miss out on the deal. So I started to scramble and look to find if I could find just the right gifts. What was the next best replacement gift for what these kids had wanted? What am I? It was stressful. I hate shopping, particularly on Black Friday. Yet, the uh, National Retail Federation tells us that holiday shopping is a billion-dollar industry. Last year, $730 billion were spent by Americans during this season of Christmas. Because at Christmas time, you know, we love to exchange gifts. One of the great traditions of the Christmas season is we, we give gifts and we exchange gifts. You know, and, and I don't know about you, but growing up as a little kid, I kind of thought that Christmas was really about the gifts. I'll be honest with you. I, I looked forward to Christmas because I, I, I hoped that I would get some gifts. After all, I was being told very early on that Santa Claus was coming to town. He was making a list, and he was going to check it twice. He was going to find out who was naughty or nice. And so I better watch out. I better not cry. I better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Anybody else ever hear that story? So I said, man, in December, at least for one month, I'm going to be the best behaved boy in all of Midland. At least that was my goal, to be well behaved. Because I know that the good kids, the nice kids, they get great gifts. But the naughty kids, oh, the naughty kids, they get the black coal in their stockings or sticks. Or worst of all, they get an ugly Christmas sweater. Anybody got a picture? I think we have a picture of a poor girl. I'm pretty sure her mom is saying, now smile, Janie. And she's like, Mommy, I can't smile. This is the worst sweater. I Are you going to make me wear this? What did I do to deserve this, Mom? Surely there's something else under the tree for me. That's a real <laughs> flat smile. She, I did not want to get an ugly Christmas sweater. I wanted to be well-behaved. When you think about your childhood, what was the greatest gift you ever received? Now, a little definition there. I think a great gift is something that the recipient wants or needs a great gift, not only something that the recipient wants or needs, but a great gift is the kind of gift that you can enjoy for a considerable amount of time that you would really enjoy for a long time, not just for one week or two, but, but actually for a long time. And a great gift does a good job of communicating the giver's love to the receiver, right? So when you think about those criteria, what was one of the greatest gifts you received as a child growing up? Do you remember? For me as a child of the 80s, the greatest gift I can remember receiving based on those criteria 
was the Atari 2600. Do you guys remember that, Atari 2600? It was awesome. It was the first uh, home video game system that you could plug into your television. You could play video games like you were at the arcade. And the number one game in 1981 when I received this gift was Space Invaders. I think we got a picture of Space Invaders. Look at those graphics. Aren't those awesome? They're pathetic, actually. <laughs> My kids have an Xbox now where the graphics are like 3D and it's amazing and like your, your joystick vibrates if you get shot. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But, but my, my sister and I, when we got this in 1981, we played the Atari 2600. We played Space Invaders all day. I literally wore a blister on my hand when I went, uh, <laughs> went in for dinner that evening. Man, I love that gift. What's the greatest gift you ever received? And where does this tradition of gift giving and gift exchange come from exactly? And how can we make sure that we give just the right gift this Christmas season? To find out, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. If you brought your Bibles or maybe your iPhone or Android, whatever you use to look at the Scriptures, turn to Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word Please join me as he pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired Matthew to put pen to parchment that we might have your written word today. We pray, O Lord, that as we read this very familiar story that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that you might give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth And the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Listen to God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you all shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen and rose between, before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look again at those first two verses of Matthew 2. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now who are these wise men exactly? Um, uh, these wise men from the east, what do we know about them? What's interesting, the Greek word for wise men here is magos. We get the English word magic or magician uh, from magos. In fact, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which is probably the most literal word-for-word translation of the Bible, translates this word as magi, you know, the plural magi. And the only other time that the word magos is used in the entire New Testament is actually in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 6, when we read about Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey through Cyprus. We read this, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a magos, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, if you keep reading that story, you'll see that Paul has to blind Bar-Jesus because he's hindering the preaching of the gospel. Magicians were not known as followers of Yahweh. In fact, magicians, magi, were, were pagans. And these magicians from the east, most likely from Persian or Babylon, had been raised worshiping different foreign gods. And most of the foreign gods of Persia or Babylon were, were actually personifications of forces of nature. And so they were, they were the kind of people who like to get one with nature, kind of like the New Age movement that we have today in our world today. That, that's the kind of people that, that the Magi were. And so these Magi, well, they're really pagans, very far from God in the eyes of, of most Jews. Because we know from the, well, the Jewish law that we aren't supposed to worship nature. Yes, it's true that God might reveal himself in creation, but we don't worship nature. For in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, Moses gives this command, And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. God knows that humanity has a propensity to to worship creation rather than the creator. And so God condemns that kind of worship, but yet that's the kind of thing these magi did. They, they worshiped the, the stars. In fact, some scholars would say that a most accurate translation in this context of Matthew 2 would be to name them astrologers, those who studied the stars and worshiped the stars and used the stars to, well, to help tell them and predict the future. But notice in our text, by God's grace, these magi who looked to the stars eventually seem to recognize that this star represents the the birth of the newborn king of the Jews. But they have to go to Jerusalem in order to know where the newborn king of the Jews is to be born. You see, it's true that God has made himself known through his creation. You know, I I can look at a tree and recognize that God is wonderful and beautiful, but I'm not going to find God in the tree. Although it's true, Jesus died on a tree. I can climb a hill and I can see a beautiful panoramic view of all that God has created and I can begin to understand it and honor and recognize how great our God is, but I'm not going to find God in that hill, although Jesus was crucified on a hill. I can look up to heaven and notice the skies and think all about it, but God's not going to appear to me in the clouds, although Jesus did, the resurrected Jesus did ascend to heaven. We were told that one day he will return again. Now, if we really want to know Jesus, if we really want to know God and and have an intimate relationship with God and grow in our knowledge of God, we've got to go to his word, just like the Magi did. They go to Jerusalem to find out where the newborn king of the Jews was to be born. And then the scholars and the scribes, they go to the word of God, to Micah, which Murray read just a moment ago, 
to help say, well, help. the Bible says, the Word of God says that the King of the Jews is to be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. The only way they could find out where the King of the Jews was to be born, the only way they could really find Jesus was by turning to God's Word. Did you know that the average household in America today has four copies of the Bible? Sadly, according to George Barna, only 14% of Americans today read their Bible or engage with the Bible daily, whether that be through reading the Bible or listening to Scripture on an app or a CD or simply doing some kind of daily devotional. Only 14% of folks do that. And Lifeway research tells us that 20%, only 20% of Christians in America will ever read the entire Bible in their lifetime. Yet if we want to know God, we know we've got to, to go to His Word first. Now, if you're not a Bible reader here today, if you've never read the Bible from cover to cover, actually the first thing I would do is I would encourage you to, to start in the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the first Gospel written. It's only 16 chapters long. You can read one chapter a day and read the story of Jesus. And after you read Mark, then read Matthew, then Luke, then John, Acts, Romans, and read the rest of the New Testament. After you've read the New Testament, then go back and read the Old Testament, and you'll see how often the Old Testament prophesies and points to Jesus, because ultimately this whole book is about the Word made flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if we want to know Jesus, we've got to read His Word, which is Holy Spirit-inspired, so we might come to know all that He said and all that He did and what He's done for us. Yes, we need to read God's Holy Inspired Word if we hope to really come to know God. Well, notice in our text that after the Magi hear from the Word of God, from the book of Micah, that he's to be born in Bethlehem, they head towards Bethlehem, and then the star shines on the house where Jesus is born. And notice what they do when they see Jesus. They give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I'm pretty sure little toddler Jesus, who at this time is maybe just under two years old, didn't want gold, frankincense, and myrrh, although those are great gifts for Jesus. Because gold, as we know, is a a precious metal. In ancient times, it was the kind of gift you would give to a king. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Amen? And then, of course, he gives frankincense, which is a wonderful gift to give to a priest. And we know from the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest who offers the perfect sacrifice for all of us. And then he gives, they give myrrh. Myrrh, as we read in John 19, was one of the spices that was used to help embalm Jesus' body after his crucifixion, after he offered that perfect sacrifice. Yes, these are very appropriate gifts to give to to King Jesus, gold, and, and to the great high priest Jesus, frankincense, and to give to Jesus, our Savior, the wonderful sacrifice to give myrrh. But those three gifts, those aren't the greatest gifts that the Magi gave that day. The greatest gift that the Magi gave that day is actually found in in verse 11. Let's read that verse again. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. The first thing they do is they prostrate themselves and they fall down and they worship this toddler. That was the greatest gift because in worship we give our hearts, whatever we worship. And they gave their hearts to Jesus, this little boy, this toddler Jesus. They worshiped him. And then they gave their gold and their frankincense and myrrh. Because giving is really an act of worship. 
That's why in the Presbyterian Church, we always provide an opportunity for people to give, uh, whether it be during the service or right after the service, because we know that as we think about and, and come together to worship God, and we think about all that God has done for us and all that our generous God has already given to us, we are moved to give back out of gratitude for what He's given to us. And so they give their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, wonderful gifts for the King of Kings, the Great High Priest, and the perfect sacrifice. But we also know that these magi give because they know that the greatest gift, well, it comes from God. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We know we make a great deal about the gift that the, magi, the gifts that the Magi gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but that actually wasn't the greatest gift that was given. It, yes, it was their worship, but actually even greater, the greatest gift that was given, this whole pattern of giving and this tradition of gift giving, it actually begins with God, who gave us the greatest gift the world has ever known when he gave us his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So remember at the very beginning of the message, I pointed out that a great gift is the kind of gift that the recipient needs or wants. I know we all need Jesus. We need what Jesus has done for us. We are all sinners in need of his grace, in need of his perfect sacrifice, in need of the forgiveness and the mercy that only he can bring. Yes, we need Jesus. We need what he did for us. For he did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. Then he died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we could have the assurance of eternal life and the gift of a new life if we simply believe in him. And this new life, it actually begins today and lasts for all eternity. For as I shared, a, a great gift is something that the, the, the recipient needs and wants, and a great gift is something that we can enjoy for a very, very, very long time. Well, when, he, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we open our hearts to him and we, we worship him and we commit to following him, well, then we begin a relationship with Jesus here on this earth that lasts for all eternity. And Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from love of God that is in Christ Jesus. As Jesus says right before ascending to heaven in the Gospel of Matthew, his final words is that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. Yes, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect gift this Christmas season because he's the gift that we all need. He's the gift that lasts for all eternity. And ultimately, he's the gift that communicates the great love of the giver. A great gift communicates the giver's love to the recipient. A good gift says, man, you love me. I get that. And that's what Jesus does. He communicates God's love for us. For see, we were, we were sinners Beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, we had rebelled and all of humanity continued to rebel and, and fall short of, of God's plans for us. And we continue to sin and rebel, but God doesn't abandon us in our sin. No, he actually becomes one of us. He comes to this earth and lives the perfect life as the perfect model and ultimately the perfect sacrifice. As Jesus is the ultimate, the perfect gift for all of us because he communicates the great love that God has for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
As Jesus says in John 15, no greater love is there than this, than a man who is willing to die for his friends. Jesus is that perfect gift that communicates God's love to us. So the giving begins with God. This tradition of exchanging gifts, it begins with God as we celebrate the great gift of his son. So this Christmas season, as we continue this tradition of giving, what gifts will you give? I think we should try to do what the wise men did and and give the kind of gifts that honor Jesus. Give the kind of gifts that point others to to his kingdom, to his reign, to his love in our life. I have a few ideas for you this morning I want to share if you haven't already done all your Christmas shopping. A couple of practical ideas. The first one I think that would be great is uh, right after the service, you can go into the Great Hall and we've got our angel tree set up. Anita's running the booth there and, and for $35, uh, we can purchase a gift for a child whose parents are incarcerated. Uh, and these parents have to be involved in some type of Bible study or some type of chapel in order for their children to qualify for, for angel tree. And the children will come to our church and receive a, a free pizza, but also gifts that they've asked for, along with a, a packet of information with a coloring books that allow them to color Bible stories, but also a voucher for a free Bible from Prison Fellowship. So these kids can learn just how much God loves them. Yes, we want to give the kind of gifts this Christmas that ultimately point to Jesus, the great lover of us all, so that people can know how much God loves them. After you buy the angel tree gift, another idea you might give, as I shared in the ser- sermon earlier, is that, you know, uh, le- less than 20% of Christians in America will ever read the entire Bible from cover to cover. And the fact is that the Bible's kind of long. It's 66 books, and it can be a little intimidating. And so I have found a real easy way to encourage someone to read the Bible. It's the one-year chronological Bible. It basically tells the Bible story uh, in chronological order. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you know, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. But then when you get to the epistles uh, of, of uh, Paul, beginning with Romans, that's actually not in the order in which they were written. The first letter written by the apostle Paul was Galatians. And so as you read this Bible, you're in the book of Acts, and you get to the story of how Paul was in Galatia, his first missionary journey, and then you read Galatians, what he wrote to those people that he started the church with. And then later you'll read about how he started the church in Thessalonica. And you'll read First Thessalonians. This tells the Bible and story form in the chronological order from which it was found. This is a great gift to give to somebody uh, this Christmas season. But maybe you think they've got enough Bibles. Maybe, maybe you want to give something simpler. You can give them a, a daily devotional. I don't get any money for this, but Timothy Keller's written a great little devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. He takes a proverb a day or a line from Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon, some of the wisdom literature of the Bible, and he, he expounds on it and gives a little prayer at the end. It's a great thing. I've been doing this all year. It's been a great encouragement to me in my faith. But maybe you think, oh, well, my friends, they've already got Bibles. They've already got devotional guides. Here's another great book you might think about giving to him. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you've never read this, man, you, you should read it. I, I, someone gave it to me uh, while I was a Christian in college, and I read this, and it, it opened my eyes to what the Bible has clearly been teaching and what it means to know God and what it means to be in a relationship with God. But maybe, maybe your friends don't like to read, right? Like maybe you've got some relatives that just, they're not readers, so what do I do, right? Maybe you should give them some, maybe some Christian music. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I was going through a particularly tough season, and uh, one of my friends gave me a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's actually a mixtape. Now, for you that are younger, a mixtape was like a cassette tape that you could put songs on, and then you would mix it, and you could play it and put it in a, cars used to all have cassette players, now they don't. But anyway, they they gave me this little mixtape, and and this season of college, it was my freshman uh, year, it was fall of my freshman year, I'd been recruited to play basketball at Trinity University. 
uh, practice, though, is from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., which when you're 18 years old is kind of early. And I was taking a biology class at 8.30 that, man, I was struggling in. And so I was having these really hard basketball practices from 6 to 8 a.m. And uh, I was exhausted at the end of practice as they were trying to get us into shape. And I had uh, five other teammates that were taking this same biology class. And the only reason I signed up for the biology class, because I was an economics major, but my mentor had told me at the school when I was signing up for classes, they said, well, if you don't want to do science and you just want to get it out of the way, it's best to take it now while it's fresh in your mind. So they asked me, what was your best science in high school? And I said, well, biology. And I forgot to tell the the mentor that actually the reason biology was my best class in high school is for as far as science goes is because my lab partner was the valedictorian and she took great notes and did most of our homework for us so I made awesome grades with the valedictorian but she wasn't in college right so I had to take this class and it was called the evolution ecology and diversity and I had to memorize the class phylum kingdom genus and species a bunch of plants and animals that I could care less about and it turned out to be a weed out course for all these pre-med students so I should never have been taking this class but I'm taking this 830 class and I'm doing this basketball and it's pretty clear I'm not going to get to play a lot as a basketball player at Trinity University as a freshman I'm struggling in school and I may lose my academic scholarship I had an academic scholarship that required me to maintain a certain GPA and if I went below that number I could lose the scholarship so I was getting pretty nervous pretty scared and then my friend gave me this mixtape with this song by Stephen Curtis Chapman our Redeemer is faithful and true now I could read the words to you but I'm gonna go ahead and sing it I know I'm not as good a singer as Dan Carter but but here we go as I look back on the road I've traveled I see so many times he's carried me through. And if there's one thing that I've learned in my life, my Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he said he will do. And every morning his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Jesus is faithful and true. As I listened to this song, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. As I listened to that song the first time in college, I wept and I remembered that even though I've been through different seasons in my life that were hard, God was always faithful and true. Jesus was with me if I would turn to him for strength. The reason the Magi travel as far as they do, hundreds of miles, in fact, ancient Persia would have been modern-day Iran. The reason they would travel from Iran to Jerusalem to worship this newborn king of the Jews is because they had spent their life chasing after the false gods of their homeland, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, and they'd heard about this one true God, this Yahweh of the Israelites, and then they saw this star, and they believed it was leading them to the newborn king of the Jews, and they were looking for hope. The candle we lit today was the candle of hope, reminding us that Jesus has come to bring us hope. What all of our friends and all of our family members need this Christmas season during this horrible pandemic is hope. So may we give the kind of gifts that ultimately point them to Jesus, the one who came to give us all hope. As that old hymn goes, and singing it with me if you know it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let us pray.
Gracious and loving God, you have come to this earth to give us hope. We thank you for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who brought hope to a fallen and broken world to communicate just how much you love us, a gift that is truly eternal. A gift is exactly what we need this Christmas. So God, help us to be wise in our gift giving. Help us to give the kind of gifts that ultimately point to you, the one who has brought hope to a hopeless time. For you are the one who has conquered the grave. You are the one who is with us. You are the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. And for that, we give you our thanks and praise. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen.